0: Israel prepares for a ground assault on Gaza after the unprecedented attacks on civilians this weekend. Tonight, we expose Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's mission to avert an all out war. Plus, Speaker Scalise may have just been a GOP fever dream. Who's next to take a shot at the speakership? The most extreme member of the GOP caucus, Jim Jordan. And Rachel Bitterkoffer will be here with a sobering perspective on the 2024 presidential election. That's all coming up next on Narrative. And before we get to the news, a reminder that you can support our work here at Narrative by signing up to be a patron at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's N-A-R-A-T-I-V. N-A-R-A-T-I-V. Become a patron and support our independent journalism. Now back to the news. Tonight, Israeli tanks, brigades of soldiers and bulldozers are amassing along the Gaza and Israeli border, preparing for a massive ground offensive to extract at least 150 hostages taken by Hamas after last weekend's devastating attack on Israel. The death toll in the conflict so far has reached 2,700 people and is expected to climb sharply higher And there's no guarantee the fighting will stay in Gaza, threatening to spill over back into Israel. One of the agreements that President Sadat and Prime Minister Begin are signing tonight is
1: entitled A Framework for Peace in the Middle East.
0: America's 39th President Jimmy Carter in 1978, after 12 days of secret talks with then-Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin, and Egyptian President Anwar Sadat.
1: This framework concerns the principles and some specifics in the most substantive way, which will govern a
0: comprehensive peace settlement. I was barely a year old when Egypt and Syria launched a stealth attack on Israel in 1973. My father was called up as a reservist, and while the Yom Kippur War itself lasted only a few weeks, Hostilities with Egypt only officially ended five years later, with that signing between Begin and Sadat and Carter sealing the Camp David Accords in 1978. The images of war fade away over time, but the images of peace, they live on for generations. That iconic photo reminds us that wars are easily launched, but enduring peace is how great leaders leave their mark on history. Gaza was a defining issue in that Camp David Accord.
1: It deals specifically with the future of the West Bank in Gaza and the need to resolve the
0: Palestinian problem in all its aspects. A full five decades later, my entire lifetime, and that dream remains unfulfilled. This weekend's Hamas attack on Israel was deliberately timed to coincide with the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War just as the stealth nature of the attack mimicked the start of the 1973 war. The mass murders were intentionally vicious, the beheadings, the burnt babies, all designed to capture global attention, but also to enrage Israelis and Americans. And the hostages? They were taken deep into Gaza's booby-trapped underground tunnel system to lure Israel into a devastating and costly subterranean war in Gaza. Hamas leaders were under no illusion this would be their last stand and Israel's retribution would very likely mean the total destruction of the Gaza Strip, home to some two million Palestinians. In a sense, this was a suicide mission for Hamas. We're still learning about the savagery of the attacks and the indiscriminate firing on men, women and children at several occasions in southern Israel including the absolutely heartbreaking events that took place at the Supernova Music Festival, just near Beersheva in the desert. The revelers there were sitting ducks, unable to flee as shots rang out.
1: It was all very, very quickly happening. It escalated in a few minutes. We were just, uh, we were at work, you know, having fun. The music was amazing. The atmosphere was the best. And... In a few minutes it all turned upside down into a real hell, a hell on earth. Uh, bombings no stop, no stop bombings, uh, people running away, panicked attacks and uh, after a few moments you know you you start hearing the shoot shootings mm. uh, and you understand that the, the defense has been breached and terrorists are entering in. Uh, looking to kill as many people as they can with the main objective, killing innocent people just because they are Jewish. That's the, the feeling that we are all having right now.
0: Survivors tell of their desperate escape while many friends were taken hostage across the border to Gaza. Israelis are still in a state of trauma, and they're outraged not only at Hamas, but also at their own government for failing to see these events, and for intelligence failures. Prime Minister Netanyahu's fixation on judicial reforms may have distracted him from national security. There are so many questions about why the Israeli army took so long to respond, and why the Iron Dome was not operable. Predictably though, Netanyahu has called for retribution, launching a massive air attack and now a ground offensive. He's hastily assembled a war cabinet as well. And so what we now face is months, possibly years, of horrendous war. Many more lives will likely be lost as the Israeli military exacts vengeance and hunts for the captives in Gaza's underground tunnel network and also attempts to annihilate Hamas. Israelis will tell you it's Hamas that started this war, that they have no choice but to defend themselves. And they are, of course, completely correct. There is no justification for the savagery we've witnessed but it is important to understand the context for this unprovoked attack. Hamas is reacting angrily to the prospect of a US-brokered Israeli-Saudi peace deal that would in effect extinguish the Palestinian cause. The so-called Abraham Accords were the central mission of Jared Kushner, Donald Trump's son-in-law and former White House senior advisor. He's also a lifelong friend of Benjamin Netanyahu. You may recall Kushner and the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman enjoying some very late-night talks in Riyadh, imagining a completely new Middle East, anchored by Saudi and Israeli relations. But MBS and Kushner failed to fully consider the Palestinians, and particularly Hamas, in this redesign, believing they could bribe Palestinians with nicer neighborhoods and cars. And this weekend we found out the cost of that strategic short-sightedness. Instead of a lasting peace, they have triggered another costly cycle of war. The leaders on both sides do not have to accept that a lengthy war is inevitable. In 1993, Yitzhak Rabin and Yasser Arafat ended five years of intifada by reaching an agreement at the White House with Bill Clinton. In 1978, Begin and Sadat did the same at Camp David. A lasting peace is possible. But it can only emerge when hostilities end. And this gives President Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken a very unique opportunity. Blinken has already indicated that he is working with Hamas allies Qatar in an attempt to negotiate the return of the hostages from Hamas. If he can do that, and it's a big if, and if he can end hostilities, then they might be an off-ramp to the terrible war we are heading into a genuine chance to seize a lasting peace from the clutches of war before cities are leveled and thousands of lives lost and another generation grows up knowing nothing but fear if blinken and biden succeed and if they can help the saudis and the israelis reimagine the abraham accords with palestinian consideration and a renewed partnership with iran We may just see the culmination of Jimmy Carter's peace plan in 1978. But we are very far away from that tonight. Right now, we're on the brink of a regional disaster that will lock the Middle East into another cycle of war that began more than 50 years ago and has never found a real end. Israelis are tired of war. They have seen too much of it. They do not want to lose any more soldiers in subterranean hand-to-hand combat, in those tunnels under Gaza, in order to free these hostages. A negotiated settlement must be possible, or at least must be tried. It's vital that all sides sit down right now and discuss ways out, without thousands more lives being lost. We turn now to Capitol Hill, where the battle to be speaker is underway. Steve Scalise, uh, of course, has been nominated as the House Speaker by the GOP's caucus after Kevin McCarthy was ousted last week, but Scalise could only manage a 113 votes from his caucus, far short of the 217 votes he needs in the House. Scalise secured the nomination in a closed-door GOP meeting, defeating a challenge from Jim Jordan. Political scientist Rachel Bitterkoffer is here with an outlook for 2024, and she also has comments on Mr. Scalise's attempts to be speaker. And she's previewing her new book, Hit 'em Where It Hurts. What's your prediction about what will happen on Capitol Hill regarding their speaker and whether Steve Scalise actually has the votes to achieve a win there?
2: Scalise was able to get obviously an advantage over Jim Jordan in terms of the nomination vote, which is not 217, and they were going to go from that meeting to a live floor vote, which they ultimately canceled. That tells me right there that they understand they don't have all the votes locked up, and on every day that we don't have a House speaker is a day we can't help our allies.
0: Exactly, and I think something interesting going on behind the scenes where Hakeem Jeffries, who's no, who's no slouch when it comes to being strategic, is probably planning a counteroffensive there where he might actually be able to get a handful of, of Republicans to side with his Democrats and maybe become a unity speaker. There's a real possibility that may happen. I don't see it as a likely possibility, but it is a possibility considering the dysfunction within the Republican ranks.
2: I see that as almost impossible. I, I know that's a progressive wet dream. Oh, there's there are be swing district Republican. If I was advising them, I'd be like, look, you can either stay in Congress as a Democrat or get voted out in 2024 as a Republican, right? There are two options. But I think it is a reasonable, still long shot, because we're talking about long shots, more reasonable long shot to imagine a scenario in which the Republicans put forward a consensus speaker candidate, a Republican from a swing district, and the House Republicans would then, with an agreement for government funding and for Ukraine funding and other normal operation, agreements might jump over and help put a moderate Republican in charge. But even that feels very pie in the sky to me.
0: You never know. You never know. Anything could happen. They do need a speaker and they've got lots of business to get done. And I think every Republican representative in a swing state must be really worried about returning to the polls, having done nothing in the House, which has been dysfunctional from the start. There are
2: 18 of them serving in districts Biden actually won in 2020 and another handful of people who are in competitive districts. And I, I think that they are really gambling with their own political futures. And we've never seen a situation which a party has to elect and maintain a speaker who instead of maintaining majority seats, the seats that give you the majority, the swing district seats, they're forced instead to to cater to the most stringent safe district Republicans in the chamber. We've just never, this is such an out of bounds, out of body experience because usually the speaker's first imperative is to hold the majority. And we're not going to be seeing that. We didn't see it with McCarthy we won't we'll be seeing it after.
0: Yeah, and then, of course, Jim Jordan, he's no moderate, obviously. He's about as extreme as you can get. He's one of the people who actually organized the attempted coup, along with Donald Trump and all, his, all their cohorts. It seems almost unbelievable they were about to contemplate a speaker, if he is one of the candidates, ultimately, who was responsible for insurrection. That's against the Constitution. And to your point, how far we've gone from a reasonable GOP into complete extremist territory.
2: Oh, definitely. If Jim Jordan was to become the Speaker of the House, and I put a post out about this, because we have measurements for members of Congress, how they behave in Congress in relation to each other. And that data can tell us who's an ideologue, who's a moderate, right? Jim scores on that theological scare off the charts. He had by far be the most ideologically rigid person ever to serve in that position. Mm -hmm. That being said, and he's an insurrectionist, right? But that being said, Jim Jordan is the voice of reason in the MAGA base right now, right? He voted to keep McCarthy. He understands that they don't have the majority that he's back to minor leagues, right? And he, we've actually seen him making, I have seen him making some strategic choices. He just endorsed Steve Scalise with this vote, right? That's but Jordan would be an incredibly dangerous in that position. And I, don't, I just don't see how we get through this period without significant pain for the American people.
0: Absolutely. Now, let's talk about the presidential elections coming in next year, I'm titling the slide The Trump Dump, because we are beginning to see that thing we all were hoping to see which there is actually a decline in the polling for Donald Trump as you look at the presidential elections. It's still remarkable to me, this is according to the Ipsos Reid poll, that 25% of Americans still would vote for Donald Trump if he's found guilty of a felony, which is stunning. But that must be the base. That must be it, right? We've hit the rock bottom there when you're at that 25%. These are just diehard fans. Or can we erode that even further?
2: I'm here to tell you guys, in 2024, it looks like it's going to be Donald Trump. I think it's fucking crazy to nominate a man who's going to be literally convicted of crimes by the time you get to election day, but the man base, the Republican party's base, they don't have access to any of that information. And when they, even if they do, what they're told about that information is absolutely opposite from what's happening on earth one. It's all a witch on, he's been set up, he had the powers to do whatever, right? So like, they do not see him as a weak candidate at all. So they really do look like they're willing to strap themselves to that rocket. But I think it's really important for people to understand Trump is easier to beat than Ron DeSantis and other potential candidates because he is so divisive and he's a known brand and people already hate him and have already rejected him. But at the end of the day, if, if it's him and we have this democracy versus autocracy choice, that's what we're going to do as democratic strategists. We're going to make sure the American public it isn't about bread prices and bullshit. It's about do you want to live in a democracy or not? I'm telling you guys, 47 percent in the swing voter pool of every competitive state is going to vote yes for autocracy.
0: Wow. Stunning really, when you think about it, when you think about who those voters really are and what states they come from. And I want to hit on two points you made there. One was, it is going to be a bread and butter election, in my opinion, because we still are facing incredible increases in gas prices because of the, the situation around the world, but also we're going to be seeing it related to that inflation going up. So as much as possible, while we all might be hoping for that democracy versus autocracy debate, which of course will be there if those two candidates are fighting against each other, there will still be the bread and butter issues that we'll have to contend with. And most of them will in under Biden's leadership that will be blamed on Biden.
2: Yeah, that's why I've been fighting and working and the book does this and my work next year hopefully will do this to get Democrats to understand you have to attack Republicans on their macro performance on the economy. We did a really crazy economic experiment at the bequest of the Republican Party back in 1980. We dramatically changed the tax code, how infrastructure was tested in, privatized everything. It's a fucking disaster, right? If we go out there and we have micro conversations about gas prices and bread prices and whether corporations are whatever, right? That's not going to work. So there is an economic argument to make, but that argument is the Republican Party has destroyed the American middle class, gutted our infrastructure and left this country weaker, right? Under their Reaganomics, Maganomics regime. If you hate the modern American economy, then the reason is because the Republican Party built it.
0: The other thing you mentioned there in that previous response was about DeSantis being a lot more difficult maybe to beat than a Trump in a Biden-DeSantis matchup or whomever, it might be Nikki Haley or whomever. Do you think that that it is yes. easier to defeat Donald Trump than to defeat some of these sort of cleaner candidates? Yes. I,
2: I, in the informational marketing asymmetry that still exists between these two parties, everyone's peeking out about this poll that comes out on the issues and Republicans have advantages on all of these issues, even things like education or whatever. And people are like, how can be?" And I'm like, dude, because nobody wants Watches the news. Okay. Yep. Nobody, normal human beings in America are not watching the news. And what, where Ron DeSantis is dangerous is when the out party gets an advantage because it's changed. Biden will not be changed. Biden was changed. Now he's not changed. The right. new person will be. Okay. Anyone other than Donald Trump has a much more compelling change argument than Donald Trump will. And I, I could see where Ron DeSantis and his beautiful family, because people like to make fun of him, their good looking family would be very attractive to your tuned out, not really giving a shit independent voter in Wisconsin where this is going to come down to.
0: So in that case, if you've got a guy there who's going to be a probably a felon by the time he's running or potentially a felon by the time he's running for office, wouldn't it make sense for Trump to just accept his fate and move off center stage or negotiate some sort of settlement with whomever he needs to do that and allow Ron DeSantis or someone else to take over? Do you think that's a possibility or do you think he's too stuck in the... Trump open? is a
2: selfish fuck. There's no way he would ever do anything that would benefit anybody else. He doesn't care about the Republican Party, right? He takes all their fundraising and pockets it. He doesn't distribute it out to the other candidates. He recruits these unelectable morons like Carrie Lake to run and then platforms them, basically saddles the Republicans with these nuts. The only objective Donald Trump has is protecting himself. The only way that he can protect himself, and I'm sure deep down in the recesses of his Mar-a-Lago ketchup rattled mind, he gets this. Okay, These criminal cases, he He has always operated successfully by staying out of court. That's because court is pure earth one. You don't, you don't get to make up reality in the court and he is going to get hammered. He knows, I think he understands the only way he stays out of federal prison at this point is with the presidency to pardon himself. And I think that's why he will never do anything that's better for anyone but himself.
0: I hear what you're saying about earth one being the courts, but I also think that he's going to try use whatever court cases he has, and particularly the one in Georgia as a vehicle for his political campaign I think he might take the stand and he might try dominate that stand for a few for a good few days could be politically astute to do that because it'll be all eyes on him across all the all the networks and he could just simply argue how he's a victim of his terrible witch hunt Donald if you hear
2: us you should definitely take the stand and have this moment go do it dude
0: so inter stage left or stage right I can't figure out where he's entering from is rfk jr the spoiler in all of this he announced this weekend that he's going to do a third- party run as a candidate that is now backed by a pack with 11 million dollars and potentially Elon Musk's money. Who is he actually going to steal votes from? I can't figure out if he's chipping away at the right, if he's chipping away at the left and what his impact might be.
2: Yeah, it's so funny that you should ask because I'm working on an edition of my blog, The Cycle, and so right now was literally like writing it as you as we moved into this interview about third-party spoilers and how delighted they found the one that they could possibly run that probably will hurt Trump more than Joe Biden. And People want to understand that a little bit better, they should subscribe to the cycle. There's free and paid options on there. But I'm gonna lay out for folks exactly why it is. Generally speaking, whether it be Kristen Cinema, Joe Manchin, Howard Schultz, Bloomberg, whatever, any third-party candidate generally is going to be a more dangerous for the Democrats coalition because the Democrats are quantitatively different in terms of their ideological rigidity, the amount of extremists in the party, and their willingness to to prioritize party tribalism over anything else, like a personal preference over that. So in my opinion, Kennedy is literally, I I love that they built him, they made him, right? They formed him across the entire conservative media ecosystem to fuck with us, and now, it's probably one of the best assets we have going into 2020.
0: I'm going to be fascinated by your blog post. I'm going to check it out. The cycle. Rachel Biddecoff is a sub because I was thinking you might be able to damage Democrats. But if you say so. I- there
2: are many people in the Democratic coalition, anti-vax, far left, that I think will be attracted to Kennedy. OK, but he's got really complicating other positions, which is why he was unable to gain any other than the fact that he's challenging incumbent and nobody should be challenging the incumbent when they want to run. Other than that, his problem gaining traction of the Democratic base is that he doesn't align on their priorities, values or positions, right? Other than this wacky natural health segment. So I do think that it's not to say he's going to pull completely from Trump, but I would assume that it is more disproportionately. The MAGA base has been literally trained for two years on this vaccine myth. It is an article of faith amongst MAGA Republicans that the COVID vaccine kills you. Okay, mm-hmm. they call themselves pure bloods because they didn't get the vaccine, okay? This it's a single issue thing for a chunk of that MAGA nut base, and I think that Robert F Kennedy with all the money and all the help that he's gotten from people like Elon Musk is really it's relieving to me to have him on the ballot because we still don't know if no labels is going to put in regular independent who is much more likely to siphon votes from left.
0: He does have that name. It's a good name, Democratic Fame World name? I think we're seeing some of that in the Republican Party right now. And We're seeing the, the kind of people just holding their nose, not willing to vote for anything there. Is it, is it—is it possible that's what we're going to see towards the Democrats in 24, that we're going to have a sweep towards the left? Is that even possible in your mind?
2: Oh, no, I think we can win in 2024. Or I'd already be living with you in uh- Toronto. And in 2020, if you guys remember, I predicted the 2020 election results 16 months prior and went balls to the I Put it in the New York Times. Right, yeah. Joe Biden's going to win or are the Democrats going to win? And here's why, right? We have these structural advantages that give me hope for 2024. But unlike my friends in 2020, with the polls showing Biden really up ahead and really winning, I knew it wasn't going to be like that. It was going to be very close because the partisanship shapes voter behavior in America. Okay, For Indies, mo- most Indies and for partisans, that partisanship is the main factor. And at the end of the day, especially when you look in the swing states, each of these states is basically a 50-50 split, right? You really gotta, you're gonna have close margins in 2024. It's not gonna be a blowout.
0: I worry a lot about, and I'll just say the word out loud, but I, I know most Democrats don't like to even think about this, but there is this prospect of the Hunter Biden investigation still rolling along. And sure, if Jim Jordan is not Speaker, this is less likely. If Jim Jordan is Speaker at some point, there is a lot of other information still to be discovered about Hunter Biden and, and Joe Biden. And that scandal has some growth in its, I believe, still has some growth in terms of news. How dangerous is this impeachment process for Joe Biden and for Democrats? eating into 24 now.
2: here's what I'm going to tell you guys it would be very dangerous if we still had the media the naive media system that we had in 2016 that turned butter emails into the main theme of a man that was clearly a walking talk national security disaster waiting to happen so like where Republicans are struggling is that they can't get the media to give the oxygen to this impeachment fake impeachment inquiry that they need but you're right the whole point of it is to keep digging find Something, anything, because with Hillary Clinton, there was nine committees to destroy her reputation heading into twenty sixteen. That's all those committees were designed to do, and we know it. Kevin McCarthy literally fucking told us
1: on tape, right? Look
2: at her approval now. They didn't think we could take out, and look what we did, right? But that ninth committee is the one that discovered that she had a private email server, right? right? So, like. All of that Benghazi crap found one little thing, but I think the media, I'm pretty harsh on the media in this upcoming book. I lay out how Republicans use our media, the naivety and the ethics and the the rules of operation of our media system against democracy. But at the end of the day, the media has obviously learned a lesson. They've never covered these committees, the over-weaponization of government committees. They've never given that a legitimization. And I think that has been a very key difference. And I think, again, yes, I'd be much more worried about it, though, Zev, if it was going to be Ron DeSantis versus Biden. Okay. Right, At the end of the day, no matter what Joe Biden did, Kay. like anything that they can find, only a incompetent boob wouldn't be able to win that messaging narrative.
0: The voters have factored in what they know about Hunter Biden, and they've accepted that probably is why Biden has a, a slightly lower, let's say slightly lower approval rating than he should have right now, because he's doing a great job as president. Tell us about the book, Hit Him Where It Hurts, uh, How to Save Democracy by... By beating Republicans at their own game, it's out soon. Tell us about it. Yeah,
2: so this book. And the first thing uh, I do in this book is I try to bring the reader, you, into my head that has been trained as a political scientist, right, in the study of elections, campaigns, and mass voting behavior. I do this because my argument is we have designed our campaign strategy, our messaging systems, under a very flawed assumption of an informed and engaged electorate. Okay, mm-hmm. that is the exact fucking opposite of what the American public is. And that has nothing to say that Americans are dumb. They're smart people. We, They have benefits of all the first world calories and education to make very smart people in America. Like, how smart are you about shit that you don't know anything about? Do you, are you an opera fan?
0: I'm not an opera fan and I could not think about
2: it. You know jack shit about opera. Okay? That's know. how it is about politics. And so getting people to understand we're working with very rough clay in terms of winning a narrative out there in the media media and in, in the campaign communications, okay? Given A, so given that the public is not they don't know. My my friends that vote regularly don't know there was a fake elector scandal, okay? They they don't know any of this stuff. So given A, do B, and then the second half of the book explains how to design a campaign messaging strategy that meets the electorate where it is and pushes it away from the Republican Party.
0: That's really smart. Also, adjacent to that is the fact that there is no media system, which is providing truthful news to that population anyhow. It's also skewed towards... It
2: doesn't matter. Nobody would fucking watch it. Literally, no one would watch it. PBS has the smallest audience of all the media outlets, and it's by far the most sanitized, substantive coverage group, right? Here's what the book points out. It's easy to shit on the media, but the media is a reflection of us, and they're just giving... Because it's... Because we, unlike Canada and other places, have a profit-driven media entertainment system, not Subsidize news that doesn't need to turn a profit. If you're, if you have to turn a profit, then you have to get Americans to watch the news. And the only way to do that is to make it sensationalized and stupid. At the end of the day, it's easy to shit on the media system, but it is what it eats and it's eating us.
0: A hundred percent. What a great point. And by the way, don't idealize the Canadian media. It's not exactly the most incisive coverage of anything I here don't. either. We'll talk more about the book when, you've, when it's out officially, but when is it out?
2: February. Damn. It's available for pre-order now on Amazon and other independent booksellers. And I will be reading the audiobook.
0: Oh, that's very exciting. <laughs> I'm excited about that. I love your voice. Rachel Bitterkoff, the author of the upcoming book, Hidden Where It Hurts. Thanks for joining us tonight. And thanks for your uh, assessment of what's happening in the Republican Party and of the elections next year. We'll see you next time. Thanks for being here
2: great to see you guys again and and the audience who haven't seen in a while hello everyone
0: and goodbye thanks rachel really appreciate it that's great every minute of narratives reporting every story that we break is made possible by our patrons you too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative narrative where truth lives one day
2: you'll tell the story of autocrats cooks and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and
0: won. The people prevailed
2: and renewed an old vow To a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative
1: Where truth lives.